We've been for the last several weeks, and we're going to spend one more week after this week talking about uh, the rapture. And so uh, I, I, the question that, uh, that we're going to ask here this morning is not so much what's going to happen in the rapture, but how, what's our attitude towards it? For those of you maybe who haven't been here, maybe you're visiting here today, uh, one day, and I believe very soon, uh, this once in all of um, humanity history <clears throat> is going to happen, this one-time event, and it's going to happen, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye. It's not going to be over a course of a day or even an hour. It's going to happen as faster than you can blink. And this is what's going to happen. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come down from heaven in a cloud. And there's going to be this loud shout. And there's going to be this trump of an angel that's going to blow this trumpet sound. I'm not sure what that's going to sound like, but I'm sure it's going to be glorious, unlike any trumpet we've ever heard. It's going to be it's such a pitch, it's going to be in such a frequency that only those who are saved, who are covered by the blood of Jesus, who have made a decision for Jesus Christ, is going to hear that truly. It may be going to be a roar or an explosion, I don't know, for the rest of the world, but we're going to hear this trumpet sound. And all of this is going to happen, by the way, in just a twinkling of an eye. Keep this in mind. What I'm describing to you is going to take place before you can even blink your eyes. The Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. So the graves are going to be disrupted all over the world for those who have received Jesus but have died in Christ before the rapture. And then those, the Bible says, we who are alive and remain, and it could happen today while we're here breathing and living, are going to instantly be transferred up to the cloud with Jesus, up into the sky. And our bodies are going to be transformed in the meantime because, you know, we can't handle the stratospheres that are way up there. Uh, and our bodies would explode. So our bodies are going to be instantly transformed when we see Jesus face to face. And then he's going to take us to heaven. It's called the rapture. And it's delineated in the Bible. And you may be looking at me, some of you like, yeah, right, that is, you're crazy. You're really, this is nuts. I'm out of here. As soon as I can slip out, I'm slipping out of here because I'm not sure that I even believe this stuff. And that's your choice. But you can choose not to believe it and it's still going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen. So I hope that you really believe what God's Word says. It's in God's Word, and so I choose to believe everything that's in God's Word. And I know this is going to happen. I'm not going to pick and choose what I believe. I know this is going to happen, and I believe it's going to happen very soon. You see all the signs that are taking place that God's Word says will happen right before... Um, the, the rapture and the tribulation. And the tribulation is a seven-year period that's going to take place immediately after the rapture where those that are left are going to experience the worst, absolutely worst um, uh, experiences uh, of, that mankind has ever known in the world. You can read about it in Revelation. It's going to be where the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the sin build people who have rejected the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, you always say, well, well, I thought God was a God of love. Well, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. And his wrath is simply our sin and his holiness mixed together. It comes out as wrath. You take our sin that's unrepentant and his holiness, and you put it together and you mix it up, and it comes out as wrath. And that's simply his way of, of saying... 
I'm going to make right. Some way there's got to be some wrath that's going to some punishment that's got to take place for the sin. You see, Jesus took that wrath upon himself. Jesus took that sin, our sin, upon himself. That's why we, as believers in Christ, can say, all right, Jesus, come and live in my heart. Forgive me my sins. Wash me in your blood. The reason we can say that and know that we're forgiven of our sins is because Jesus lived a perfect life and he died for us so that we wouldn't have to die in our sins. He took his sin upon himself and therefore he took our, the wrath of God upon himself that was due us. Jesus took that wrath as well, that punishment as well. So that's why we as repentant Christians who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are going to not have to experience the tribulation and the wrath of God. Those that are left, those that have not made the decision for Jesus Christ, those that have chosen to live their own life the way that they want to live and reject the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has offered for us, will live through the most difficult and challenging and awful time that this world has ever known in the seven-year tribulation. I won't go into the details of it today, but if you want to know more about it, read the book of Revelation. It's not a fiction or fairy tale. It's a future newspaper that you're reading the headlines to when you read Revelation. But I want to ask you this morning the question that as we approach this rapture and this tribulation and this event that's going to take place that's going to completely change the history of all the world and really bring things to its final conclusion and God's going to make all things new one day. All of this stuff that's going on in the world will just be gone and he's going to reign, Jesus will, in righteousness and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And again, it's all delineated in the book of Revelation. I'm not making this up. So why do most people fear the rapture? That's the question that I want us to answer this morning. Why do most people fear the rapture? There's three different things we're going to look at this morning. Now, whether you're excited about the rapture, maybe you're excited this morning and that's great. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe there's some dread in you. Maybe you're curious about it. You might even be indifferent about it. You might even be in disbelief about it. We all have different thoughts and emotions when it comes to uh, the rapture. As I said last week, and I would encourage you to listen to last week, or a couple of weeks ago rather, I would encourage you to listen to, this, to, the, to the messages uh, that are on our website at connectedfaith.com uh, that are to do with this series that I've been uh, preaching on the last few weeks. But as you heard a few weeks ago, the angel Gabriel in Luke 1.17 told the parents of John the Baptist that his primary purpose on this earth was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ and he was to make a people prepared for the Lord. Now that was him for that generation. John sounded the alarm for Jesus' first coming. We are in the generation, folks, of the second coming of Christ, we are the ones, we are the generation that is to sound the alarm for Jesus' second coming. It's us now. Amen. And that's a huge responsibility. I hope you understand and are sobered by that, that we're the ones, we're the generation responsible to sound the alarm to prepare those in this world around us for the second coming of Jesus, just as John the Baptist prepared for the first coming. The rapture is imminent. Imminent means it could happen at any moment. There's nothing else that needs to take place. There's no prophecy. There's no world event before the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes to take us to heaven. So how does that make you feel today? How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel fearful? Are you excited? Maybe you don't believe it, 
But I feel that the Holy Spirit would have us examine our hearts today. Maybe to shore up our, our foundation and to help strengthen our resolve as it relates to how we feel, what we know, and really what we should do in light of the certainty of the rapture. The rapture is certain. Many, maybe even most of us who are professing Jesus followers fear the rapture. And if that's you today, it's okay. It's okay, really, to feel that way. And it's really important to acknowledge that to the Lord. Because being honest with yourself and being honest with Him today might well lead you to a place of freedom in that area. It's been holding you hostage far too long because maybe your lack of understanding of the glorious things that are ahead for us in heaven as believers. And that's my hope for you today, that I would that, 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 I, I would that we would all leave here today free from the fear of the rapture as we move even closer to this world-shattering, nation-altering event that will turn the world of all those who are left behind upside down and catapult mankind into the horrors of the tribulation. The Bible calls the rapture our blessed hope. Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, it reads, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Would you just say that with me? Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Would you say it again? Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, that salvation that Christ has given us helps us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, to live upright, and to live godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness that's that wrath that I'm talking about, that wicked. He's redeemed us from that. He's taken it upon himself. And to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, while, there, while there's multiple reasons why individuals may fear the rapture, from childhood trauma maybe, when you, I remember uh, when I was uh, just a young child, that movie A Thief in the Night came out, and we watched it on a Sunday at church or something. I can't remember, Sunday night or something. And I just remember thinking, oh, my Lord. And that, you know, really struck the fear of God in me. Um, and so maybe there's some sort of childhood trauma that's there where you think, oh, I'm afraid of the rapture, you know. Or maybe there's some teaching that you've uh, experienced that's in error. Or maybe there's just a lack of teaching. I'd like us to look at three things today, though, that might help us, that I hope will help heal our hearts and maybe bring some clarity and hope to all of us. And the three things are this, and I'll, I'll go over them more, more thoroughly, but it's not knowing the promise, also not knowing what's waiting, and also not knowing who's coming. So let's look at the first one, not knowing the promise. Believers who lack an understanding of the rapture are more common than those who do have a solid biblical grasp of what our future holds. Now, there's a lot of viewpoints out there of the rapture, when it's going to take place, how it's going to take place, even if it will take place. It's difficult to know what to believe and who to believe. You can hardly do as Paul suggests in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, when he says, comfort one another with these words, if you yourself have never received comfort. How can you comfort others when you're fearful? You need the comfort of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that the rapture is absolutely, absolutely 
positively real that the rapture will happen before the tribulation begins and that the rapture is your rescue from God's wrath that will be poured out during the tribulation on a rebellious world who have rejected Jesus Christ. Now maybe your greater fear is that there won't be a rapture leaving you here through the coming seven years of the tribulation. You know, you've read and heard of date setters who proclaim Jesus will return on a particular day and all those dates have come and gone, haven't they? You've heard of scoffers who mock and ridicule Jesus' followers about their belief in the rapture. But be assured, church, today, listen to me, that we won't be here for the worst of what is certain to come on this earth. I know you read and hear otherwise that there's no such thing as a rapture, but they are wrong. Peter writes about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Listen to this. <clears throat> It says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot and they forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. Remember Noah and the ark? That actually did happen. We forget that. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. The Bible says it's going to happen that where the first uh, destruction of the world was with water, but the second destruction is going to be with fire. We, we read about it right now. The same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, the Lord could very well be waiting for you today to make that decision. His mercy is so great towards you that he's saying, I'm not going to come back until you make that decision for Jesus today. You're the one that I've been waiting for. It says, the, days, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare I don't think I want to stick around for that. How about you? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. How do we speed its coming? Let's tell some people about Jesus this week. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Amen. So there's always going to be scoffers who ask, where is this returning we've been told about? But when we're confronted with these mocking questions, we need to stop. We need to examine and test what we believe until all the questions fade away. And all that's left is faith and peace and hope. Don't doubt Jesus is coming. Don't doubt that the rapture will take place. 
James, half-brother of Jesus, talked about this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, a lot of times when we read this scripture, we consider this as a testing of our faith that means we need to maybe endure some sorrow or maybe endure not being led into temptation. But it could it possibly mean as well, and I believe so, that this testing can be a good thing because sometimes that makes us grapple with what we believe. And it prompts us to prove the truth of it to ourselves time and time again. What do you believe? Who do you believe? Why do you believe it? When someone tests you with that, when situations test you like that, I think it's important for us to step back and say, wait a minute, why do I believe what I believe? I know that Billy Graham, when he was in his ministry way back in the beginning of his ministry, he grappled with that same question. Is Jesus truly the only way? I mean, is the gospel really what it's all about? And he came to a place of really realizing at that moment, it is what it is. The Bible is true. I can count on the word of God. Everything about it from Genesis to Revelation, even the things I don't understand. I will believe in the word. I will believe in the gospel. The gospel is the way of salvation. Jesus is the way of salvation. He grappled with it and he came to a place of saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's important for us as well today. We're in this place of grappling when we hear stuff, these scoffers, and we see the news and we experience things in our life. We have to step back and say, now, wait a minute. Why do I believe what, do I, what I believe? The testing of my faith brings me back to the solid foundation of who Jesus is and what he is in my life and what he means to the world. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to look to the left. I'm not going to look to the right. The scoffers may scoff. I'm going to believe in Jesus. Is that you today? Is that you today? You see, what that does, that testing, it builds our faith. And as James wrote, it produces perseverance, which is really perseverance is simply patient endurance. Oh, patient endurance. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, I can endure for a little bit. And maybe we can endure for a little bit, maybe a day or two, maybe a week or two, maybe even a month. But that endurance, that patient endurance of months and years of just waiting and trusting, how many knows that's hard? But what that does is that that, build, that building of our faith produces that patient endurance. Think about it. That testing of our faith, when you're challenged, it's producing in you long term endurance that says I will trust in the Lord no matter what and then it continues because perseverance matures us perseverance completes us and it helps us to walk in confidence in what and in whom we believe amen, amen. thank you Lord for the testing of our faith because it produces the perseverance that we need to say just like a tree that's planted by the water, I will not be moved. My roots are ground deeply, firmly into my faith in Jesus Christ. And those tests do nothing but strengthen it and solidify it. Amen? Jesus gave us this promise in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, for all of us that are patiently enduring this testing of our faith. He says, since you've kept my command... To endure patiently, in other words, to persevere, there it is. Since you've kept my command, since you've done well with this, 
I will also keep from you the hour of the trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. That's talking about the tribulation. You are being tested. Your perseverance, your faith is growing. You're being matured. You're getting solid. You're getting strong. He's saying, good. You keep doing that because I'm coming back for you. Don't you give up. Don't you, don't you, don't you give in. Believers need to know the promise that the groom will come for his bride on time and not a minute too late. He promises in Revelation to keep us from that hour of trial, the tribulation, by catching us up in the rapture. This is the promise from Jesus to us today. And God is not a man that he would lie. All of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Amen. amen. Including this one. So let the scoffers scoff. Let the mockers mock. Let the doubters doubt. You hold fast to the promise told to us in God's word. And here's that promise again. I got to read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to it. The Lord himself is going to come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Da, 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 da. It's going to sound a lot better than that. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord for just a few years. Oh, wait a minute. It says forever in my Bible. Forever. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another with these words. God said it. I believe it. And that's good enough for me. Say it with me. God said it. I believe it. And it's good enough for me. Be encouraged today. That's the promise. That's the promise. I'm not going to be afraid of the rapture. I'm going to grab hold of the promise. I'm going to let my faith be tested. I'm going to endure this patiently, victoriously, because he's coming back. Amen? Here's the second thing. As to maybe why some people fear the rapture. And that is not knowing what's waiting. We're kind of used to what's going on here. We kind of like the pigsty we're living in because, hey, it's our pigsty, right? Man, there's something glorious that he has waiting for us in heaven. How many lives in a perfect place right now? Anybody? 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 No, you don't. Put your hand down, Chris. I can always count on Chris to do that. I knew you were going to do that. My entire message last week was about what's waiting for us in the rapture. If you're afraid of getting to heaven after the rapture and facing judgment, there's nothing to fear. I'm not going to spend too much time on it this morning because I spent my whole message on it last week, but I just want to review just a little bit. As a child of God, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We're born again. We're the bride of Christ. And if that's you this morning, you're not going to be judged and you're not going to be punished for all the bad things that you've done in your life. Can I hear an amen? Mm. That's not true at all for those of us in Christ since our sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We're not going to be punished. We're all going to face judgment. It's just that for believers, it's going to be a judgment of our works to determine our rewards. Again, listen to last week. We've all been given time and talent and resources and how we have used them while on this earth will be rewarded or burned up 
before the holy fire of the Lord at the Bema judgment seat. 1 John 4, 17 and 18. I want to read this in the Amplified, and I'm not sure if you got that up there. Yeah, good, it's up there. The Amplified. So it just fleshes this out a little bit more. It says, in this union and fellowship with Jesus, love is completed and perfected with us. I want you to focus on that for just a second. Love is completed and perfected with us. That's his love that's completed and perfected with us. His love for us. His love about us and his love towards us. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assurance of boldness to face Jesus. So in other words, we're facing him with this perfect, completed love that he has for us. So keep that in mind. We're going to face with confidence on the day of judgment a loving, a completely loving and perfected loving Jesus towards us. So picture yourself for just a second as you stand individually before the Lord and he's not looking at you with a scowl on his face. He's not looking at you disappointed. He's not going, okay, here we go. All right, get the stuff out because we're getting ready to let him have it. Mm -mm. I want you to picture Jesus loving you in in a way that you've never experienced love. It's a perfect love. It's a complete love. It's a holy love. It's this love that only he can have for you. And you're standing before him individually, not as a group. He's looking at you. He's looking at your face. He's seeing your heart. He loves you. He loves you. Now, this is not going to be down the road, by the way. He loves you that same way right now. I want you to just focus on that just a second. He loves you with a complete and perfect love. He didn't build up to that. You didn't earn that. You're not finally arriving to that place where he's like, okay, now I can completely and perfectly love you. That's how he was from the very beginning. Before you were even born, he said, I want to create you because I completely and perfectly love you. And there's nothing you can do to change that love. He loves you completely. He loves you perfectly, no matter if you're straying from him, no matter if you reject him, no matter how hard you work for him on the other end of the scale, none of that matters. He loves you because you exist. So there you are standing before him, and on this day of judgment, there's not going to be, it says, any fear in love. So we stand on this day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face Jesus because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. It says there is no fear in love. In other words, there's no dread does not exist in God's presence as we stand in his presence fully covered by the blood of Jesus. As we're standing before Jesus, there's no dread, there's no fear in that sort of love. But perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love. He's not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. Can I say this one more time? Jesus loves you, and he loves you completely, and he loves you perfectly. There's nothing for you to fear on this earth. And when we see him face to face... He loves you with a perfect and complete love. Would you say this with me? Say, Jesus loves me with a complete and perfect love. Now, I know that's hard for us to understand because we've never received that sort of love before. Even the love of our spouse, our, our parents, or our, our, our whoever it would be, 
as deep and wonderful and beautiful as that love is, there's never been the kind of love that we have that, we're going to, that, we, that we actually have from Jesus right now that we're going to experience in its fullness when we stand before him on that day of judgment. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear about the rapture. There's nothing to fear about this judgment that's going to come because you are going to stand before Jesus one day and you're not going to be covered in sin, but you're going to be covered by his blood. You're going to be sinless. You're going to be spotless. <laughs> and what's waiting for you in heaven is something beyond your imagination. It's not going to alleviate your... It, it, it will not only alleviate your fears that you have, that you'll be judged for your sin because you won't, because Jesus has already taken the punishment for your sin. That's already done. But it will encourage you to live the remainder of your life faithfully until Jesus comes for the church, making the most of your time in service to our King. And as we said last week, with the right heart, remember? Not just doing something and saying, all right, God, put it on my list because I'm doing it. And by the way, look at all the people that are seeing me do it. It's prideful. You're not doing it for the right reasons. So not only do we do things for Christ, but we do them with the right motives. We do them humbly because, as I said last week, works count, but also our attitude and our heart condition counts as well. So we can confront the fear of the rapture because we have the promise that he will come again and keep us from the time of tribulation. And we can confront the fear that we have understanding that this time of judgment, when we stand personally before Jesus, will be for rewards and not for punishment. And finally, we can confront the fear that we may have of not knowing who's coming. Now, this, may, this one may seem obvious because certainly, Pastor, you know Jesus is coming, of course. I mean, can't we just wrap this thing up and go on home? But that's not what I mean. We may know Jesus is coming, but do we know Jesus? If you were to take a quick peek into the heart of many believers, you'd find an unspoken fear of the rapture for a surprising reason. I believe that it's that fear that they don't know the coming groom. When you know Jesus in a personal and intimate way, there's no reason to fear and every reason to live in breathless anticipation of his coming. It's one thing to know about Jesus, but to know him changes everything. Can that be said of you today? Do you know his heart? Do you recognize his voice? Do you long for that wedding day? If you struggle with knowing Jesus, then the first step towards a closer walk with him is admitting your need to work in that area. You see, for, for some in the church, maybe even many here today, their excitement over the rapture may not be due to love and longing for Jesus, but rather their desire to get out of here before things get worse. I really understand the desire to want to get out of here. I do. Every day there seems to be more and more reason to want to escape this evil world. And it seems that we're barreling toward this apocalypse. And many in the church are crying out, even so come Lord Jesus. But the, is the reason we want him to come is so that we can be with him or just to get out of all this? Have you really thought about that? Do we have a love disconnect as it relates to Jesus? Is Jesus merely our get-out-of-hell-free card, or do we truly love Jesus? Here's probably one of the more important questions 
that I've ever asked from this pulpit. And I'm asking myself the same question today. And here it is. If Jesus were in the pit of hell for all of eternity, would you want to stay with him there? In other words, which desire comes first? Jesus or heaven? Now, thankfully, we're not going to have to choose between the two because I've read the book and Jesus is in heaven, thank God. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, but what if we did have to choose? What if we did have to choose? It's a strange question when you think about it. But what it does is it speaks to the condition of our heart. Certainly I want to be in heaven, and I know we all do. But do we want to be with Jesus more? One way we can truly get to know the one who gave his life for us. If you're thinking, you know, that's really an important question, Pastor. I, and, and, and I have to wrestle with this too. Because, you know, again, being raised in church... I hear about the glories of heaven, the perfection of heaven, the splendors of heaven, the rewards of heaven. It's eternity of a place where there's going to be righteousness, no more sickness, no more death. Sounds great. There's nothing about it that I don't like. But I have to ask myself this question. Do I, do I want to get to heaven because of all those things? Or do I want to just be with Jesus? You know? It really is a sobering question. And I hope I'm making a bunch of people uncomfortable like I'm feeling uncomfortable right now with asking it. Because it really tells us the condition of our heart and our priorities. Do we, do we love Jesus for what he can do for us or for who he is? Do we love Jesus because he saved us and we get to go to heaven one day? Or do we love Jesus just because he's worthy to be loved and glorious and perfect and holy? Do we want to be with Jesus or do we want to be in heaven? And one day, maybe when we're in heaven, we'll finally get around to seeing Jesus. Maybe I want to see my grandma first, and there's a bunch of other people I want to see, but then you know there's Jesus. But it just feels like that there's some priorities that are kind of mixed up there. And it helps us to maybe examine our hearts to say, Lord, I, I do want to go to heaven. Oh, but help me, Lord, to want to be with you more. And it's not just one day in heaven, but it's really here in the here and now, you know, to be with Jesus, to kind of practice that now, to prioritize that now, to recalibrate our hearts back to Jesus. It's just really, as we just saw, it's all about you. I mean, it's just, it's all about you, right? I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and worship is not a song. It's, it's not just corporately, you know, coming together like this, singing, or, or even doing what we're doing now, but worship is just, it's a lifestyle of just commitment to Him to say, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to know your heart. I, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear that still small voice. I want to, I want to know you in, 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 your, in, your, in your sufferings, yes. In your glory, yes. In your wisdom, in all the beauty of who you are. I want to know you. So that when I'm with you one day in heaven, this is not going to be a crash course of saying, now, who are you again? One day we can really get to know the one who gave his life for us, the one with whom we're going to spend all of eternity is to read and love his love letter to us, that Bible that is in your lap. You're, you're, you'll know Jesus more and more as you read that Bible. 
get to know Jesus, get to know the Word. You know, the Bible calls him, John, John says he is the Word, and the Word was made flesh. He's the Word. And, and so he's put himself on paper and ink for us, bound together in a beautiful love letter to us. Spend time with him in his written word. I, I want you to imagine for just a moment, and guys, it might be a little more tougher for you, but I want you to imagine you're a mail-order bride waiting to meet your groom, okay? As a female, you can imagine the importance of knowing the one who will be your groom. As, as, as guys, we can place ourselves on the role of a groom and consider how truly that you'd want to be known by your bride-to-be. The concept of getting to know Jesus in this way goes something like this. Two people meet from afar, and they send letters back and forth in order to get to know one another until the time comes to meet that one in person. At first, they are perfect strangers, but the more they read each other's words on paper or talk on the phone and communicate with one another, the closer they become leading up to that beautiful marriage ceremony. They learn to recognize their intended handwriting. They learn to detect certain inflections in the tone of their voice. There's an anticipation and there's an excitement building until both can hardly wait for the day that they begin to share a life together. Jesus is called the groom in God's word. And us collectively as believers, we are the bride of Christ. And there's going to come a day when we will all meet Jesus face to face. And I hope that none of us will be meeting a stranger. Let's want to know him. Let's want to know what he sounds like. What it, let, let, let's, let's want to know what it feels like to be with him. Let's know him intimately by spending time with him in his word, in prayer, in a daily walk, as we worship, as we walk and talk with him and he with us. That can begin right now. Let it begin right now. If you're at a place where you're saying, you know, Pastor, you're right. I'm more excited about getting to heaven than really seeing Jesus. I really don't know this beautiful Savior that I've invited into my heart like I need to. And I don't want to have a crash course on getting to know Him in heaven. I, I want to know Him now. I want to start now. And so, you know, we can get to know Him now because of His Word and His Holy Spirit. It's really the Spirit of Christ is here with us today and he's living in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, can get to help us to get to know Jesus more than, than we ever can imagine. I, I don't know if maybe Jesus meant partly this when he said this in John chapter 16. He, he was speaking to his disciples and he was getting ready to be crucified, uh, betrayed and crucified. And he was wrapping it up by saying this, in, starting in verse 12, John 16, 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears from me. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, we look at that and say, oh, the tribulation and all the things that are coming on the end of the earth. You know, but yeah, the things that are coming. How about things to come getting to know me more, right? The things to come revealing the truth and the beauty of who I am more. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, this is what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you my spirit. 
There's a lot that you don't know about me. We've only been together three years and I've done my best. There's more. And the Holy Spirit is going to reveal these things to you as you walk with Him, as you open up, as you let Him speak to you, as you, as you position yourself in such a way where you can receive that information, that transformation, that knowledge of who I, of who, of who I am. The Spirit of the Lord is going to say, where is that going to come from? It's going to, Jesus is saying it's going to come from me. I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, tell them this. Holy Spirit, reveal this. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And He's going to pour it into our lives through His Word, through prayer, through worship, through time spent with Jesus. When we accept Jesus in our hearts, it's more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's an, it's an open door to a daily, intimate, ever-growing relationship with Jesus that He desires. And His Holy Spirit is here in us, with us, speaking to us about who Jesus is. And He's revealing Jesus to us as we study His Word. He's revealing Jesus to us as we pray. He's revealing Jesus to us as we walk daily with Him. The Holy Spirit is helping us to get to know Jesus, this beautiful Savior that we've invited into our hearts. It's sad that we know more about our co-workers, our politicians, our neighbors, our social media friends than we do about the one who died for our sins and we will be spending eternity with. Let's not arrive in heaven someday and hardly know the one who laid down his life for us so that we could be his. If that's you today, then please shift your current approach to your walk of faith and start today. Spend less time getting the latest scoop on your temporary whoever and instead invest your best time in getting to know your eternal groom through his word, through prayer, through your daily walk with him as the Holy Spirit reveals to your heart the wonderful intimacies of who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. God help us. So no matter where you are in your season of life, your best days are ahead of you. I want you to think about that. Oh, pastor, you don't know. I, I'm... I'm a certain age and my kids are grown and, you know, I'm, I'm just looking to just make it one day at a time. I'm not sure how many more days I have left. It's just my body's falling apart, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? No. Your best days are ahead. <laughs> how long, you know how long it takes for me to get up in the morning, Pastor? I'm still, you know, I'm still working out some of the stuff. Your best days are ahead. No matter how young, middle-aged, old you are, your best days are ahead. You know, you can be an empty nester reflecting back on your younger days when the house was filled with kids and the hectic demands of each day. Somehow, they didn't seem so, they don't seem so hectic anymore. You kind of long for them. It's funny how we kind of look back with those days of fondness as though the, and thought that we, those days of fondness that we thought we'd never make it through. We made it through. Now we want to go back through it again. Are we gluttons for punishment? I don't know. But we look back at these things and think, oh, I miss the, the good old days, you know. But our best days are not behind us. I want you to turn to someone and say, your best days are not behind you. That's right. You see, as believers, your best days are ahead. Because there's a spectacular wedding in your future. Revelation 19.7 says, let's rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's you and I, has made herself ready. We don't know what it's going to be like, but we know it's, that, that its splendor is far beyond our wildest and most vivid imagination. It's going to be a time of wonderful celebration, unlike any wedding that creation has ever known. Put them all together. 
and it won't match that one wedding that we're going to experience. It's truly something that we can look forward to with excited expectation. And when you belong to Jesus, the groom, your best is yet to come. All believers have reason for excitement. Amen? Amen. So if you don't know and trust the one who is coming for you, it does make sense that you would fear. And that fear would rule your heart when considering the rapture. If you don't see God in proper context, the true God, the Father, and the real Jesus, the Son, then you're already standing on shaky ground. And it won't be a very effective soldier. You're not going to be a very effective soldier in, in the king's army. If you don't know your king and commander, fear's going to swallow you up whole and leave you shaking and shuddering in the sidelines of the battlefield. I, I'm here to, to, to just remind you today that God's word says that Jesus is the Almighty. That, that, that Jesus is the all-powerful king of the universe. Folks, we have absolutely nothing in this life to fear. Things around us may seem like that they're unraveling, but I've got good news for you today. Jesus is not unraveling. He's not even a little bit unraveling. Isn't that good to know? Jesus is strong. Jesus is in control. And Jesus is coming soon. God is calling out a people. It's described in Daniel 11.32. He says that those who know their God will display strength and take action. How many knows that our God is going to and is now displaying strength and he is taking action and he will take action. He is still in control. Amen. So God is calling us to fight the good fight of faith. He's calling us to stand firm in our faith. And he's calling us to know in whom we believe that he is able to keep that which we have committed to him until that day. Moses knew his God and delivered a people. David knew his God and became a man after God's own heart. Paul knew his God and followed him to prison and death. Now is our time and it's our turn. Let us know our God. Let us allow him to display his strength through us. And trust Him through it all. Fear of the rapture may merely be a symptom of not knowing Jesus intimately or embracing His personal love for you. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to pursue Jesus. To seek Him through His word like a bride reading the love letter of her groom. Jeremiah 29 verses 13 and 14 says, You're going to seek me and you're going to find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. So you seek Him and He'll be found. And he's going to make himself known to you in ways that's going to blow your mind. So folks, we don't need to fear the rapture. We don't need to fear the things leading up to the rapture. You see, Jesus made the promise to us that he's going to catch us away before the hour of the tribulation. He will judge us on our good works for rewards, not for sin for our punishment, not punishment for our sin. Jesus wants to know us as a bridegroom, though, and he wants to know his bride awaiting the wedding day. Help us, Father God, to know Jesus like the coming bridegroom that he is. Because the more you know Jesus, the more you know his nature, his heart, his perfect love for you, the less you're going to fear and the more you're going to be excited. So pursue him. Prioritize him. Allow the Holy Spirit in you to get to know him through his love letter. God's word, through prayer, and in your daily walk with him. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you today for your word that helps us to know Jesus, this love letter that we're holding in our hands today. Father, help us to cherish it. Don't let it ever collect dust. Don't let it ever take second or third or fourth place. 
let it always be a priority in our lives that we would take your word and Holy Spirit that you would reveal to us this precious Savior that we've invited into our heart. Every day we want to know something more about you, something new about you, something more deeply and more intimate about you. Holy Spirit, won't you reveal to us that truth of who Jesus is as Jesus speaks to you to speak to us individually in our place of understanding, in our place of being able to receive, in our place of actually growing in that. Help us to not be afraid of the rapture. There's no way we can escape that event. All of us are going to face it. And some of us are going to go with Jesus. Some of us are going to stay here. Lord, I pray that not one person in this place would stay here. With every eye closed and every head bowed this morning, and Christians, I need you to pray. With every eye closed and every head bowed, please. Nobody looking around. I want you to consider this invitation that I'm getting ready to make to you because you see, you may be listening to this message today and say, well, Pastor, I, I, I am kind of afraid. And it's not that I don't know him. It's not that I'm not sure that it's going to happen. I'm just... I'm afraid I'm just not even going to make it. I don't know what to do about it. Well, I, I got some good news for you. Jesus has already done it for you. There's only one thing you need to do. He's already lived the life. He died. He lived a perfect life, I should say. He died. He rose again. <laughs> so he's alive. He's living in heaven today. He ascended to heaven uh, several days after he rose again, witnessed by hundreds of people. So Jesus is alive, but he sent us his spirit. But here's the thing. Um, there's nothing you need to do to get saved. It's not works. It's not being related to someone. It's, it's not just making a determination in your mind that you're going to be good. <laughs> there's nobody that's good. You're going to mess up. We all mess up. But I'm so glad that Jesus has already done for us what needs to be done. So he took that sin, that punishment upon him, your sin, the punishment that you deserve, he took that upon himself for you. And today, he's simply with open arms inviting you to have a relationship with him. And the Bible says in this way, I love this word picture. He says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm, and I'm knocking. So he's just knocking at the door of your heart. And I want you to picture your heart right now, that, like you're inside of your heart there. And, and you know how doors have knobs, but you see, on this particular door, there's only an inside knob. There's no outside knob, so all he can do is knock. He can't force it open. He can't turn it and turn the knob. There, it's not, it doesn't exist. The knob's on the inside, and only you can turn it, which means that you really have really control over this. It's your choice. He's not going to force himself on you. What kind of relationship would that be? He instead says, I'm knocking. And he says, if anybody will open the door and invite me in, then I will enter in and I will commune with you. And what he's saying is this. You open up the door to your heart. I say, all right, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. But when you come into my heart, you're going to cleanse me from my sins because I'm going to confess you as my Lord. I'm inviting you not just 
to cleanse me from my sins, not just so that I could know that one day when the rapture takes place, I'm going to be caught up and be in heaven uh, with the rest of the believers. But Lord, I'm also making a decision to not just be saved, but also to grow in relationship with you. I want to know you. I, I, I want to have a lordship. I, I want to have a daily walk with you that, where you're the Lord of my life, where you're showing me the things that I need to do to maybe be more like you, to kind of not be so ugly, so, so fleshly, so selfish, so angry, so unforgiving, so you know, greedy, whatever those things are that you're dealing with. Jesus could help you with all those things and say, you know what, I can take that and turn it around and making something so beautiful in your life. That greed can be like you can be content. That, that anger, you can walk in love and forgiveness. That oh, all these things that you're dealing with in your life, he can take them if you give it to him and say, Lord, I just, I'm tired of this ruling me. I'm tired of it controlling me. And he can take it one uh, experience at a time, that testing of your faith that we read about. Oh, you, you're going to become more like Jesus and less like you, which I promise it's a good thing. He's working in all of our lives to perfect us and to sanctify us, to make us more like him as we've invited him into our hearts. But today is that initial step that you take. Sarah, Jesus, I'm tired of living life on my own, for myself, the way the world beats the drum for me to walk. I'm not going to walk to the beat of the world's drum anymore. I, I, I want to walk to the beat of your drum. I, I want to serve you. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't know how much more clear I can be but I'm going to give you this invitation, and I hope that you'll say, Pastor, that's, that, that's what I want. And if you're watching this from home, I invite you to do the same. Now, I don't see you raising your hand. I don't know what you're going to do, but it's between you and the Lord. I would love for you to communicate with us if, if you make this decision. But all those that are here today, within the sound of my voice, whether you're here or watching, I ask if you just simply just say, Pastor, I, I want Jesus in my heart. I'm opening up the door to my heart. Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm gonna, I, I want to invite him into my life to be to be my Savior and my Lord today. Is there anybody at all in this place? Yes, I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Young people, let me invite you today. Teenagers, grown-ups, everybody in this place, man and woman, boy and girl, anybody at all, Jesus is calling you. He's drawing you. If you feel that tugging in your heart, you got to know that that's the Holy Spirit tugging you. I've never felt this before. Well, that's Jesus tugging at your heart. Oh, I've felt this before, and, and I rejected it. I don't want to reject it again. Don't reject him today. A acknowledge it. Walk in obedience to it. Yield to it. Receive Jesus today. Anybody, lift up your hand and put it right back down. I promise you it's the most important. It's the best decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. Lift up your hand and put it right back down. We'll pray together. Don't be proud. Don't be afraid. And we're certainly not going to be in a hurry. Anybody at all, lift up your hand and put it right back down. We'll pray together. Come on, just put it up. All right. Lord, you see the hand that went up. And maybe there's some people that are struggling to put their hands up. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some that lifted up their hand that are watching this from home. It's just an outward sign. Raising our hands don't save us, but it simply acknowledges us I need a Savior. I've made a mess of this. Life. I'm struggling today. And Jesus, I need you to come into my heart. I want us to all pray this prayer whether you raised your hand or not. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is 
God's Son and you believe in your heart that He was risen from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. It's a confession of your faith to Jesus. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I'm a sinner sinner. and I need a Savior. I I thank you that you died for my sins. You shed your blood for me. You took my punishment upon you. And so today, I receive you into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean of all my unrighteousness. And be my Savior. And be my Lord. Help me to not be afraid of the rapture, of the things to come. But instead, help me to grow in relationship with you from this day on and every day until that trumpet sounds. I thank you now that I am born again. I am a child of God. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God praise in this place today?